Well, thank you for that lovely welcome. It's very, very kind of you. Um, oh, it's great. Ray, it's great to see you and your team. All your students here, it's brilliant. So it's great, really good to see you. Well, if you've been coming over the last month, you'll know that we've been covering a series called Generosity. And our midweek groups have uh, been following that up with notes and questions from Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller is a prolific writer. He leads Redeemer Church in New York. And I have to say, and I think most of us who know of his writings and his material, this man is a gift. He's a gift to the body of Christ. And he's been excellent. So this is, he originated this series. And the basic theme of this series is that the distinguishing mark of someone whose heart has been genuinely transformed by the gospel of grace is that this person would be marked with a radical generosity through all the areas of their life. That's the point. And now the word radical comes from a a Latin word, radix. That's the last time you'll hear me use a Latin word, by the way. You'll be pleased to know that. And, uh, And it means root. And the, and the point of that is, is this, that this radical generosity comes from a root. So it's not about, um, it's not merely in certain areas of our life, this branch of my life, that branch of my life or whatever. No, it comes from the very root. And because this radical generosity comes from the root, it's to pervade every area of our life. That's the point. So hence this series so far has covered grace, hospitality, relationships, forgiveness. And today, we're talking about wealth. You cannot speak about generosity without speaking about wealth. You can't do it. You can't avoid it. You know, such is the significance in the Western culture. Tim Keller gives two weeks to this. And we will do exactly the same. This topic... When it's mentioned, always brings about in a number of people certain internal reactions. I'm not going through them all. Just to let you know, I've been through most of them. All right, so I get it where you're at. But let me just say this. I had to prepare this. So the Holy Spirit spoke to me first about all of this. And it's no doubt about it. This is a challenge. It's a challenge. And um, as we come to this subject, but I think, I suspect, it's more about me than the topic itself. I think that's where the challenge comes. It's more about me than the topic itself. That's why I get a little bit uncomfortable. As a writer to that, let me just say this. I'm embarrassed by some Christian ministries, the way they approach this subject. I find it cringing. I find it embarrassing. I find I'm indignant the way they go about it. And I find that it's actually the most vulnerable people often get caught. So I, and yet, (laughs) having said all of that, I can't ignore the fact that Jesus was not in the least bit embarrassed to take on the topic of wealth and money. He wasn't embarrassed at all. Furthermore, he did it time and time again. I wonder if his disciples just stood there on one occasion and went, oh boy, not again. Have you got another record? Can you play that? 
I, I just wonder if they did that. The New Testament speaks or references faith 272 times. It references prayer 371 times. You'll be pleased to know that love is referenced 714 times. And wealth and money is more of all of those combined. Wow. Do you think Jesus knew something about our hearts? I think he did. Let's go to Luke 8. Let's come to the Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, words will come up on screen and um, we'll follow that. A certain ruler asked him, this is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your father and your mother. All, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When Jesus heard this, when, uh, sorry, when, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one has left home or wife or brother or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. No one has done that will fail to receive many times as much as this, as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. We're going to pick up two themes today. And one is the dangers of money. Dangers of money. And the other is the freedom of generosity. Those are the routes we're going down. Now, first of all, this picture of, an, uh, of, of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Uh, do you know, what is that about? You know, what is that about? Uh, this is probably one of the most well-known phrases that Jesus has used in his teaching to lots of, lots of people. Uh, you know, there are commentaries that talk about a small gate in Jerusalem. On the wall of Jerusalem, a small gate, it's really narrow. And um, if, and, the, and the, some of the commentaries say that if, you, if the camel was to take off all the baggage, every bit of baggage, and then get down on its knees, I don't know how a camel gets down, but anyway, gets down on its knees and was able to get through, it, it could get through this narrow gate. Don't go with it. Listen, don't go with it. This is a metaphor impossibility. That's the point. It's impossible. That's what he's saying. No loopholes. It's impossible. So they go, whoa, who can be saved? In their culture, they understood rich, a rich person to be blessed by God. And that is obviously how they got rich. 
blessed and favoured by God. Now listen, that's their cultural lens. That's how they see things through their culture. You beware of your own culture and how you see spiritual things. Make sure they're biblical, my friends. Beware how you see through your own culture. We have many cultures here at King's. Just watch it. Beware how you do that. Now listen, we know that every person, salvation is a miracle. Do I have an amen? I need a bigger one than that. That's a, I mean, that's, amen. Okay, we got an amen, okay. Every, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. So all this baggage stuff is rubbish. You can't do, that's all that you can do. It's not that. Every person's salvation is a miracle. Everyone. Why is Jesus picking on this rich man? There's your question. Why is Jesus picking on the rich man? Because things that keep God at a distance, money makes worse. It amplifies. Money's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. You can use it for both. It's all down to the user. Let's just do the rich first of all, can we? In case we're doing comparisons in the room or people that we know. We're all rich. We're all rich. And from a global perspective, we here in this room are rich. Did you have a choice of what you put on to wear today? If you did, in a global perspective, my friends, you are rich. So let's not look across the room and think, well, I hope they're listening to this. That's not on. Where this is not on at all, okay? Don't do that. Hear this for us. This man is wealthy, he has status, he's probably a public official, he's devout, he's upright. If you and I met him, we'd think that's a thoroughly decent guy. And something is missing, and he knows it. Inside, he has this emptiness that's gnawing away at him, and a lack of peace. In Mark's gospel, it says he ran to Jesus. He takes the initiative. Something's going on in him, and he's coming to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good line. Wealth enables you to do a lot. Wealth enables you to do a lot. Nothing reinforces our reliance on self the way money does. It reinforces our achievements, our accomplishments, our success, the success we've made of our lives, the things that we have got. Wealth reinforces me. I'm saying, listen, this is a danger. This is a danger. It enables me me to do a lot. A survey on why committed Christians... I underline the word committed. Committed Christians go to church less. Cited affluence as the number one reason. Affluence. More money to go away. More money for hobbies. More money to focus on children's activities and sport. More money. Wealth enables us to do a lot. It enables us to acquire a lot. Wealth has the capacity to make us proud. 
Do you know, I, I used, we used to live in the same street, this guy and I, but look at the street I live in now. Wealth has the capacity to make us proud. I'm not saying we're all proud. I just say, listen, this is a danger science. It has the capacity to make us proud. Do you know, I'm smarter than they are. I'm better than they are. Look what I have made of my life. The trouble with pride is this. It hardens the heart. It erodes your ability to repent. On one occasion, Tim Keller says, the single most practical life skill is the ability to admit you are wrong. I'm going to say that again. You can either write that down or memorize it, but I tell you, this is really important. The single most practical life skill is the ability to admit you are wrong. It's a key skill. Husbands and wives, do you need this skill? You need it. But we need it for all our relationships. Parents, you need it for your children too. It's important. You need it at work. It is the key most practical life skill. You need it for when you go to the dump and you want to dump some stuff off. You need it. I'm up there the other week and I've got this shredder that's, that's had it. I have a shredder that's had it. It's just no good whatsoever. And uh, there's this skip there. I look at the skip and I go, general use, whatever. I chuck over this, this shredder and it goes, wham! And this guy in one of these luminescent jackets comes running over to me and says, what did you put in it? What did you put in it? I'm thinking, was there something else I put in it? Perhaps that might be helpful. And I, I said, actually, I, I put a shredder in here. I, I put a shredder. They don't go in this skip. I said, I am really sorry. I am really sorry. And he goes, oh, that's all right. That's okay. I'll, I'll just get it out. I said, thank you so much. You know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, doesn't it? And also, to admit you're wrong really helps. I mean, you do have to, I was wrong. I mean, I could have said, well, where are your signs? Go on, where's your signs? Shredders are forbidden. I don't see any sign like that whatsoever. I could have done that. You know where that would have gone, don't you? I think I would have ended up in the skip. The rich young ruler knows that something is wrong. And Jesus seems to go off on a tangent. And he says, what about commandments? He's ticked them all off. He knows them all. He's looking for the one thing, just that thing that will tip the balance, something he can do. He can't see it. He doesn't think he has a problem that he cannot fix. What must I do? And the reason Jesus goes down the commandments routes is because he knows this guy knows the commandments. And therefore he'll know the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He never saw this one coming. You know, there's a lot of giving goes on here at Kings. I get that. I get that. But listen, Christians, these are danger signs. And are you aware of them? Because this man never saw it coming. 
The thing about money is it blinds you to how important it is to you. You won't see it. You won't admit how important it is to you. And denial is one of the most, it's just a, it's a hallmark of addiction. Wealth is addictive. We have sticky fingers. And guess where that sticks to? Us. Wealth is addictive. An alcoholic will always think they're in control. They'll always say that. It's all right. I'm in control. I can handle it. I, no, I am, I am not out of control. I don't have a problem. That's a stock line. Wealth is addictive. In the USA, and I don't know when this was done, but a survey was, the question was, what would it take to be rich? And they went to those who were earning $30,000. And they said, what would it take to be rich? And they said, 60000 So they went to the group that were earning $50,000. They said, what would it take to be rich? They said, $100,000. I'm glad you're here, you guys, from the States. It was really helpful. And, uh, and, and the ones who had $100,000, what does it mean to be rich? What do you think they said? 200,000, they did. And a million dollars, what did it say? And they said, they didn't, they said five. <laughs> five. Five million. We always need more. Wealth is addictive. If you want eternal life, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus goes to the idol of this man's life. And here's the, here's the point. He couldn't let it go. You watch yourself over money matters. Be aware of the danger signs. Examine your heart. It enables you to do a lot. It has a capacity to make you proud. Money and wealth can be addictive. Be aware. Why do I say that? Because this man doesn't have a clue. And he's devout. Jesus is not advocating that we all have to do this. So now in this room we can all go, whew. He's not advocating we all have to do this. There are many rich people in the kingdom of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Boy, did they have stuff. Job, did they have stuff. I mean, they had stuff. Nicodemus, who came to see Jesus at night. Joseph of Arimathea, who gives Jesus his tomb. I mean, it's only for a short while, I realize that. But he gives him his tomb. But Jesus knew what, what made this man tick. Wherever you look in the Gospels, you'll find this, wherever you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus meet with people. He meets them with integrity. He meets them with great love. And it, it's so, and dignity. That's what Jesus does with people. And he meets them where they're at. And that's what he does exactly with this young man. It says in Mark's gospel that Jesus looked at him and loved him. You're missing one thing. Go on. Go and sell all you have. Christians, money and wealth and what we do with it is a discipleship matter. Don't think it isn't. And don't think it's somebody else's. It's our discipleship matter. If it's in here, it's important. And it's important because of the number of times it is in here. Somebody said this. 
There can be no significant growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards it in God's hands. Let me say that again. There can be no significant growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards it in God's hands. If you want to follow Jesus, he comes first. And the tragedy here is that he doesn't. He makes a conscious decision, this young man, and walks away. Still empty, still desperate, and still with that aching emptiness inside him. Don't underestimate the power of money. If you don't listen to the Lord on this, you'll end up listening to Satan. So don't do it. Listen to God's word. Money is a wonderful servant. It's a terrible master. Jesus really cares about us. And I think this is why he speaks about it so often. So be aware of the dangers of money. Now there's a freedom in generosity. And you'll be glad we're getting on to that side of things. There's a freedom in generosity. And you see it in the next chapter. The very next chapter in, in, in Luke. We read of Zacchaeus. Who Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for tea. That's all he does. I'm coming to your house for tea. Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus is back home. He sells, he sells half his stuff. Gives it away. He, does, he gives his possessions to the poor. Half his, half his possessions to the poor. And he repays four times people that he has cheated. Jesus never asked him to do it. It's just his response to this gospel of grace. God, if you will meet with me, I don't, this doesn't matter anymore. He just did it. You know, I recall a number of years ago, I went to a lone parents group, and um, they were talking about they were talking about weekly accounts. And we're up in the Hunan room, and I was sitting in a, amongst a group of about four or five ladies, uh, single parents and they started talking about okay how do we sort out our week and every one of them said well we give that back to the Lord that was the first thing they did before they sort out the rest of the accounts that that goes to the Lord I'm giving that to the kingdom of God that, that will go to the church I'm, I'm giving that to the Lord I, I knew I knew that life was not easy, and that's an understatement for some of these ladies. And I felt humbled, absolutely humbled, as I sat in that group, their generosity and their sincerity. My friends, there's a freedom to generosity. And they knew it. I hope you do too. Otherwise, it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. Your lifestyle can help. So I read this, an article called, But Will It Make You Happy? And a, la a lady with an investment firm decided to step off the work-spend treadmill. She started to give away her stuff. Sweaters, shoes, pots, pants. She did a trial separation with the TV. I don't know if it stayed like that, but I just got that trial separation with the TV. 
And eventually she decided, and she's blogging with quite a few people, she decided that she was going to live with one, just 100 personal items. Four of those were plates. Two of them were pots. Three of them were shoes. She and her husband were car-free. They owned two bikes. They are debt-free. With her smaller income, because she downsized and changed jobs, and with her smaller income, she helps fund the education of nieces and nephews and gives some of her time free to charity. She said, I really believe the acquisition of material goods simply does not bring happiness. A simple lifestyle doesn't mean to say we have to have severe um, sacrifice or acute austerity. But, you know, I sat up in my room yesterday and I was mulling over all of this last night and uh, looking at my room, I thought, I got over 100 items in here. I got over 100 personal items. I felt really quite challenged by the simplicity of that lifestyle. Simplicity stops you living for the next thing. Because the next thing always becomes passe, doesn't it? It's gone. And then you're living for the next thing. Simplicity stops you doing that. So simplicity, lifestyle, uh, gratitude. Key to generosity is gratitude. It's the ability to experience life as a gift. I've got this quote from Thomas Merton. And it says, gratitude takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakened to new wonder and praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful man who knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. It's a great quote, that. Now, there's a, a Christian speaker and writer, and he goes to Africa, and he's having an off day, and he records his off day. And he said, it's time for evening meeting. I was too sour to join in. The music sounded squawky. I was miffed at someone on our mission team. I was feeling deprived and misunderstood. Ever been there? I found the joy of others hollow, mustered up. The pastor at the church asked if anyone had anything to share, and many people wanted to. But a tall, willowy woman in the back row danced and shouted loudest, and he called her forward, and she came out full of praise. Brothers and sisters, she said, I love Jesus so much. Tell us, sister, they said. You tell us. And she said, I I love him. I love him. I don't know where to begin. He is so good to me. Where do I begin? And the Ugandan shouted out, just begin. Just begin. She said, he's so good. Praise him, he's so good. All the time he is good. For three months, I prayed to him for shoes. And look. And she lifted up her skirt. And there, everyone could see a very ordinary shoe covered her foot. He gave me shoes. They went wild. They cheered. They cheered and whistled and shouted and... And they, they absolutely, the Ugandans went mad. They thought it was wonderful. 
And he writes, but not me. I was devastated. I sat there broken and grieving in an instant. God snapped me out of my self-pity, plunged me into repentance. In all my life, I had not once prayed for shoes. It never crossed my mind. And in all my life, I had not even once thanked God for the many, many shoes I had. Gratitude, my friends. It's, a, it's just a key to generosity. Don't miss it. Don't miss gratitude. It doesn't, gratitude, generosity doesn't trap us. It releases us. I remember when Des and I were, talking, were taught about giving. We never had teaching before. We sat there in this meeting and taught about giving. And it's regular. It's proportional. And, and then they used the T word, which is tithing. Which is a tenth. They used the T word. After Des scrapes me off the floor at the end of the meeting. Tithing. What is that? I was absolutely stunned. We just sat and talked and we looked at God's word together and I was so pleased that somebody had spoken the word of God about giving, about giving, about giving and radical generosity. I was really so pleased. It doesn't trap you. It releases you. It, it, it increases your faith, my friends. Go for it. Generosity doesn't isolate us either. It, in, it includes us. You know, Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, and he writes this in chapter 4, verse 28. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, with their own hands, that they might have something to share with those in need. Now here, get the point. The purpose is working. Not to be self-reliant or financially independent. The purpose is that we might have something to share, something to give, something to contribute. I thought, wow, that's an eye-opening verse. Something to share, something to give, something to contribute. Really spoke to me. My friends, we belong to a new kingdom. It's a kingdom in which we give, we share, we contribute. Do you know, next week we're going to have a giving challenge. And it's an invitation. It's just an invitation. Just to make us think about our giving. And I tell you, it is an invitation. Giving makes a difference in our lives as well as the life of others. It enables us to share with one another. It enables us to share in our community. Look at the things we're able to do in this community through the giving of the church. It's just brilliant. It enables us to share in the lives of the people in Nepal, Pakistan, Sudan, Middle East. The other week, Ron put on his WhatsApp about four people being baptized in Kathmandu. There's not enough water in the park in Kathmandu. So they get this bath. They get this bath and they fill the bath and they baptize them in the bath. I tell you what, I bet there was cheering and I bet there was clapping and I bet there was shouting and hallelujahs and amens going on around that bath. I bet there are a lot of people there too. We're investing in the lives of people. Don't you think that's great? There were 
the, two years ago, there were 60 people up in one of the regions in Nepal which had become saved and baptized in one year. Just the gospel breaking through. We're investing in this, my friends. It's a gift to be involved with so many lives. It really is. And in this story, there are two rich rulers. And one of them gives up all that he has. And he comes to people like you and me. One of them, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, found in human likeness. This is our Jesus. Jesus was stripped of his glory. He was stripped of his friends. He was stripped of his clothing. He was stripped of his flesh. And he was stripped of his life. Why? Quite simply, for you and me. He did that for you and me. So that we can share. We can share in a wealth that lasts forever. He, we can invest in the lives of others that they might have eternal wealth too. Amen.